Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Ruth and us are always in the same place. You can believe God is kind. I don't know how many people here, probably most people here would come in and if I asked you, hey, do you believe God is kind? You would say, yeah, sure, confessionally, that's true. It's in our statement of faith, I believe God is kind. But it is another thing entirely to live your life relying on the kindness of God which is what Ruth is doing. She is walking to a place she's never been, to be among a people she's never met. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hoping God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Quite often we hear in church about God's generosity. The Bible describes how God is merciful to the Israelites and he's constantly meeting their needs. But have you ever really been touched by God's kindness in your life? Pastor Ricky discusses in today's message how you might benefit from God's love. You can feel God's kindness in your life when you decide to trust him in the midst of the challenges. In addition to guiding you through the difficulty, he also showers us with his unfailing grace. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ruth, chapter two, as he begins his message, displaying the kindness of God. Well, let's open God's word to the book of Ruth, chapter two. Book of Ruth, chapter two. And as we said last, we're doing the book of Ruth in the Christmas season for a number of reasons, but one of those is that the book of Ruth is the Bible's original Hallmark movie. We talked about the book of Ruth as the Bible's hallmark movie, you know, and you're going to see some of those things reflected. But the thing that we saw shining out of the book of Ruth is this theme, this thread of the kindness of God. And we talked about how Naomi could not see the kindness of God. She thought the kindness of God had left her, but in fact, God's kindness was right next to her in the person of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, committed to her, helping her, never leaving her. So today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna continue on that theme of kindness, and we're gonna look at three characters in the book of Ruth and what they teach us about the kindness of God. We saw the kindness of God is there, but we're gonna look at three characters and how they re-interact with the kindness of God and hopefully learn what the Lord has for us. So let's pray briefly, and then we'll jump right in. Lord, we do pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears to hear what you have for us today. God, help us to see this theme of the kindness of God. We pray that each person leaving today would leave changed by their encounter with your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first, let's look at the character of Ruth. Ruth chapter two. What do we learn about Ruth? We learn that Ruth shows us someone relying on the kindness of God. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now, here it's important to note that the narrator is inserting verse one. In verse two, Ruth has no plan to go to Boaz's field. She's just basically saying, hey, let me go out and let me just see where I can find us some food, essentially. We focused on Naomi, but we're gonna push the camera in toward Ruth. This is Ruth's close-up. 
Think about what Ruth would have been experiencing at this time. She had grown up not in Bethlehem, but in Moab. She grew up with Moabite customs, Moabite dress, Moabite religion. And yet, as she's growing up, this Hebrew family enters her world. They come speaking of their God, Yahweh, and she ends up marrying one of the sons. It begins to be tightly joined into this family, and, and everything seems good only for her husband to die. And not only him, but his brother, not only them, but their father. And it seems as though that the, another tragedy is that none of the, Ruth had not even had any children. Her sister-in-law had not had any children. And so we saw she makes this incredibly costly, incredibly risky decision to go back to her family in Bethlehem. And she goes with Naomi, who, if you pick this up, was not a, a, a rainbow and a piece of sunshine. Naomi is returning to Bethlehem, and people are saying, hey, Naomi, and her name means sweet, and she's telling them, oh, call me bitter now. My new name is bitter. Put me in your phone as bitter. And you're like, you, you know? So this is who Ruth has attached herself to, and she comes to Bethlehem as one of the historic enemies of God's people. Israel and Moab didn't have the coziest relationship. Deuteronomy says this about the Moabites. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired Balaam to prophesy against you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever." The Lord essentially said, don't go to Moab. Of course, something that Elimelech and Naomi did not listen to. And notice that the prohibition is not against Moabites necessarily coming into the people of God. The prohibition was God's people going out and being friendly with them, which unfortunately is what had happened. God is saying these people historically wronged you, so stay back away from them. They will hurt you again. And yet Ruth, this Moabitess, is walking into Bethlehem. Why? Why does Ruth do this? Well, we see something that's so important. Ruth doesn't just pledge herself to Naomi, but pledges herself to Naomi's God, pledges herself to Yahweh. What what Ruth does here is essentially throwing herself on the kindness of God. Now, this is such an important lesson, guys. It's one thing for us to confessionally believe in the kindness of God on a head level, It's a totally different thing for us to then rely on the kindness of God in the realities of life. Like, think about it this way. Uh, My boys have this one spot in the river, in the Ruidoso, that they love to go to. And if you haven't, if you're from out of town, uh, when I say river in Ruidoso, it's a generous term. And so there's, you can, it's not as though you're like, where is the other bank of the river? It's like, oh, there it is, right there. So it's like, you know, eight feet or something. And it's fun. The kids can get in there and play. We have this one spot they love to play in. But one of the things that always happens is as a parent, you kind of look at this bank and this bank and there's rocks in the river and you think, oh yeah, I could get across the river pretty easily. Pretty spry. I'm a spry 35-year-old. And you could, you know, I'd go there and then there and then pop, pop, you know, and jump over and you're like, yeah, yeah, we're good. But eventually, one of your kids will take your hand, one of my boys at least, take my hand and say, I want to go to the other side. And all of a sudden, the head knowledge I have about those rocks is tested, right? All of a sudden, I have to actually go out and put my weight on the rocks. And there's that moment of truth with every rock, right, where you transfer your weight to that foot on the rock, and you feel it go like, you know? And you think, is that going to be like, or is that going to be whoop, you know, down the river, which has happened before. And so... In a similar way, 
Ruth and us are always in the same place. You can believe God is kind. I don't know how many people here, probably most people here would come in and if I asked you, hey, do you believe God is kind? You would say, yeah, sure, confessionally, that's true. It's in our statement of faith, I believe God is kind. But it is another thing entirely to live your life relying on the kindness of God which is what Ruth is doing. She is walking to a place she's never been, to be among a people she's never met, relying not on Naomi, but on the kindness of Naomi's God. And Ruth, remember, she is vulnerable. This is a great risk for her. She has no male relatives to be her advocate. One of the ways the, the Hebrew justice system worked wasn't that they had like Hebrew cops that would drive around in Hebrew squad cars in the ancient world. A lot of law enforcement was done by your male relatives, right? What kept everybody in line was like, hey, if you kill somebody or you wrong somebody, me and my cousins and uncles, we're gonna come get you and avenge you, right? But Ruth has none of that. Naomi has None of that. And anything Naomi had, she's left that people, remember? And not only that, but Ruth is an outsider. Again, she's a Moabitess. And, and she, she has no economic standing, no social standing, right? This is somebody who's uniquely vulnerable and is in the time of the judges. This is a period of chaos where everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. Where, man, read the end of the book of Judges. It is utter chaos, Right? A person's concubine is killed and divided up and sent to the corners of Israel, and you just think, if this is a lawless mess, that's what Ruth is walking into. Ruth is walking in alone. The only thing she has to rely on is the kindness of God. And yet, there is a step for her to take. In the Old Testament, God's kindness is embedded into the Old Testament law. There's provisions in the Old Testament law that those who are poor or fatherless or widows or sojourners, that there is provision for them in the law of God. They are essentially left scraps in the field. Not all of it is to be consumed. Some is to be left over for those in need. And so Ruth heads out into the field to rely on the kindness of God. And notice something else, that reliance on the kindness of God is not opposite resourcefulness, meaning that if you're relying on the kindness of God doesn't just mean sitting there and just waiting. Okay, Lord, I'm waiting, waiting for your kindness. No, no, Ruth is not waiting, right? She's putting on her work clothes. She's heading out into the fields. She is in this chapter working hard, working up a sweat, doing difficult tasks, because that is the next step that God's provided for her in his kindness, let me ask yourself, let me encourage you to ask yourself today, where do you need to step out in faith and rely on the kindness of God? Uh, let me encourage you, in our Christian walk, there should be a regular, this should be a regular part of our Christian life. It shouldn't be like a big thing every once in a while where we have to step out or take a step of faith. Like everything in life is normal, good, and then, oh, whew, man, 10 years ago, I had to take a big step of faith and rely on God. This is the pattern of the Christian life. I remember the first time this happened to me, the first kind of step into the river I made was in, when I was going to UTEP, I was going to the Law School Preparation Institute with my undergrad, and so I had the kind of a career path sort of laid out in terms of my mind and life, and I was gonna uh, pursue law, I was taking LSATs, I was getting ready to take the real LSAT, I was getting ready to look at law schools, I knew that there was a vocational path kind of laid out. There's some stability in terms of income. Um, not everybody likes lawyers, but a lot of people have to hire them. And so like, it's relatively safe because there's always somebody who wants to sue somebody else. And so it's a good, it's a good field in that way. And, and yet in the middle of college, I feel like God 
subjectively and through his word and through the confirmation of the people around me, kind of said all, all three of them said the same thing, which was, I'm supposed to leave the profession of law, trying to pursue that, and pursue vocational ministry. And that was a major, I remember that was the first time I had to like step into the river where all the things I knew about God, yeah, God takes care of people, rely on God's kindness, et cetera, all of a sudden became real where I was like, okay, I have a girlfriend, I wanna marry her, I need a career, I need money, and I'm gonna go from law to a part-time job taking care of the church property and like fixing sprinklers in the back. Not, you know, like that's a step right there. And it's not, and here's the thing. I thought, okay, once I take that step, it's all downhill from there. No, you continue to have to step on rocks through the Christian life. And let me encourage you, brother and sister, maybe you're there today. Maybe you think something's gone wrong in my life. I have no choice in my life but to rely on the kindness of God. I don't know how, I don't see how God's gonna provide for me. Now, something hasn't gone wrong. That's the pattern of the Christian life. And Ruth shows us that. Now, that's what we learned from Ruth, but what do we learn then from Boaz? Boaz, what we see in Ruth is a reliance on the kindness of God, but we see in Boaz is a corresponding display of the kindness of God, the two halves of the Christian life, as it were, to rely on the kindness of God, but then to, in reliance on him, display the kindness of God to others. Now, Boaz is a dude that I just love. Uh, if this was a Hallmark movie, we would meet Boaz at the farm, right? He would have inexplicably tight wranglers like around his calves. And you're like, man, look at the calves on that guy, right? He's got his sleeves rolled up with big, you know, veiny forearms and he's baling hay and his hair is tousled by sweat somehow. And, and then you meet the character and you're like, oh, he's probably just a farmhand. And then at the end of the interaction, the mute cute with the girl, all of a sudden you realize, oh, he owns the farm. Oh, he's rich. You know, like not only does he have incredible Wrangler calves, he's rich, right? And, and you begin to think, oh, I know what's gonna happen next, right? The girl from outside, the, you know, the big city, down on her luck is gonna, oh, I know what's gonna happen, right? But you still watch the movie anyway. That's what, that... Same thing with the book of Ruth. But I want you to, before you paint that picture of Boaz, even though it is true, he is rich, <laughs> and he seems like a, a guy with a good reputation in town. He's a man about town. The thing to remember about Boaz is that this is the time of the judges. Nobody is showing kindness to anybody. Even Israel's rulers, even Israel's rescuers are showing poor character, right? This is the time of guys like Samson. You're like, on the one hand, super strong. On the other hand, horrific womanizer, right? And you're like, it's a mixed bag. Like, what's a mixed bag like this, right? This is the time of the judges. And Boaz could just be like, you know what? I'm just trying to hold it down. I'm just trying to survive here. Don't, don't talk to me. Don't ask me to show kindness. We're trying to get through life. And yet Boaz, in the middle of this dark time of the judges, displays the kindness of God. Why does he do this? Well, look at his introduction in verse four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. First thing we learned about Boaz is Boaz displays a God-informed kindness. The kindness that Boaz displays flows from his relationship with the Lord. It's not as though Boaz just happens to be a nice guy. Boaz displays the kindness of God because he knows the kindness of God. And can you imagine, you're walking, you know, first thing in the morning, it's early, not everybody's had their coffee, and the first thing you're gonna be like, yeah, Frank, what's going on? You know, Boaz is like, good morning, the Lord be with you. And then the whole field yells back, 
the Lord bless you, right? This, you're like, okay, this guy's a different field. Something's going on different. What's different about Boaz? He loves the Lord. It just flows out of him. That's his introduction. And let me just say this. If you struggle to show the kindness of God to others, maybe start further back and ask, do you know the kindness of God yourself? Is your relationship with the Lord one in which you experience the kindness of God? Because if you do, it'll overflow into life. All right, let's keep going with Boaz. Verse five, then Boaz sent to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now, listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Second thing we see about Boaz is he displays a caring for the vulnerable kindness, a type of kindness that cares for the vulnerable. Now, some people, I think, on a superficial reading, knowing where the story is going, says, oh, he sees Ruth, she's a cutie. And so he's like, hey, who's this? Who's in the field over here, you know? That is not what's going on, okay? Remember, Ruth is dressed for work, has been working for a number of hours in the sun and, and field. And let me just say, ladies, who of you, after wearing work clothes, your worst, dirtiest work clothes, and working in the sun for five to six hours, would like to meet a handsome young bachelor? No, not your best look, right? This is not an Instagram moment, right? Boaz is not like, look at that cutie, and be like, he's just like, who's, I don't know this worker. Who is this worker? But what he finds out about her is that she is the young Moabite woman. Now, the thing that Boaz does in his oversight of this field is he doesn't look for who's the biggest producer, who's making me the most money, who am I gonna give a raise to? He sees the vulnerable. He sees a woman without a man. In other words, somebody who's taking advantage of that Old Testament provision and saying, who, who is this? What's their story? His eyes go to the vulnerable, not the most powerful, not the most impressive, not the prettiest, but the most vulnerable. And in this, he displays something of the kindness and character of God. God, over and over in the Old Testament, his eyes are not just, okay, who's the most impressive? Remember how he picks David? And Samuel has to go through that long line of brothers. He's super tall. He's super handsome. He's super good. And then all the way down, the young brother. That's the way the Lord works. His eyes are on the young, the vulnerable, the, the weak, right? This is a theme continually. And it should be a theme in our lives as well. I grew up here in the church, and everybody from that era will testify and say amen to the fact that I was truly horrific at sports. You know how, like, you grow up in the church, and you kind of play basketball or football or whatever with people? It was bad. And yet, there was a guy in the church who was a few years older than me, and he was a cool guy. He was a good athlete. He was likable. Uh, people liked to hang out with him. Girls seemed to like him. And for whatever reason, he just started inviting me to stuff. He'd be like, hey, we're gonna go play basketball. You wanna go? Like, I'm the last person you call if you wanna go play basketball. And yet this guy's like, he, he sees two things about me. He's terrible and has no friends. I'll invite him, right? <laughs> and it meant the world to me. And actually, I saw him a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we're grown and, and you know, like adults and I'm still terrible at sports. But I saw him and I was just like, bro, I don't think you'll ever understand what that meant to me. 
like overlooked by everybody else, not invited, but you invited me. Man, that, that really meant a lot. Like, and, and the feeling that that creates, that, that the kindness that it displays, that should be a perennial thread in the Christian's life. Who's the vulnerable? Who's the overlooked? Let me look and show kindness to them. Verse 10 says this. Then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And notice, I'm gonna pause there. Notice this. Every time Ruth is introduced without fail, it says, Ruth the Moabite. Even in verse six, it says, Ruth the Moabite from the country of Moab. It's trying to be like, listen, she ain't like the other people. You have no obligation to help her. Verse 11, but Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. You've left your father and mother and your native land and have came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz displays an outsider welcoming kindness. It would be an easy excuse for Boaz to show no kindness to Ruth because she was not actually one of the people of God. You could take all the provisions in the Old Testament law and say, listen, I don't have to frankly do any of those because she's a Moabite. Doesn't qualify, doesn't have to qualify. And yet Boaz says, no, she does qualify. Everything that Boaz does, you could see, he brings her into his people. First, he says, no, no, don't go to the other fields. <laughs> it is dangerous out there. In fact, Naomi references at the end of the chapter, don't go to other fields lest you be assaulted. So I don't know what the security situation is in Bethlehem, but it is bad, right? And Boaz is like, okay, first of all, don't go out there. Stay here. Second, I've charged all my young men. Don't even think about it. Be like, you know what? If she cleaned up, she might be cute. Nope, nope. Right? And, and in fact, he's telling him, okay, draw water for her. Protect her. You stay with my own household, my young women that are working for me. Right? He brings her into the family of God. And this is what, what God does over and over in the Old Testament. Remember, Abraham didn't start out as an Israelite. Abraham started out as a Hagan. And God brought him, in a sense, into his family. And through the Old Testament, there's these glimpses of God bringing other people into the family of God. So should it be with the Christian, to show kindness to the outsider. One of the most powerful moments for my wife as a teen, I was talking to her this, she was sharing how when she was a teenager, you know, her family was going through a lot of difficult things. And one of the refuges that she found was going on mission trips down with our sister church in Juarez. And so she would come and do kind of mission evangelism work with them. And they could, I think the church there, the youth there, the parents there could just sense like, man, she needs, she needs family right now. And so they just brought her in. And even after she grew out like of the age where you can go do mission trips, she just would come down and visit them because she found in them a family. And you know what that did for her? That means that now in our family, she regularly just invites people over that need family. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Thanks 
for being a part of Better News Radio, a ministry of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. Pastor Ricky has been focusing on the birth of Jesus this Christmas season. There was nothing ordinary about Jesus coming into the world. He wasn't even born in a decent room, but in a barn among livestock. And yet, Bethlehem was where the plan of God started, the plan to save mankind from themselves, from sin. As we enjoy all of the festivities and goodies that come with the season, remember that underneath it all, we celebrate a miracle of saving grace. For more information about this ministry or about what you've heard today, feel free to send us an email at radio at betternewsradio.com. If you prefer, you can call us at 915-562-7100. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd be happy to help you. Again, that number is 915-562-7100. You can also learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky all at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen or download for free at betternewsradio.com. Just click on the radio tab. If you don't see what you're looking for on the homepage, just click one of the navigational links to find more details about everything that you need to grow in your faith. Once more, that's betternewsradio.com. We also encourage you to look for us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for more from Pastor Ricky and Better News Radio.